So you really need to understand where the market is. Where where does your staff come from? Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Okay, guys. Globalfromasia.com slash episode 172. Hope everybody's doing great. I am recovering from an amazing second annual cross-border summit, our 2017 edition. It was uh, off the hook for real and uh, a really crazy after party and a belated birthday party. So I'm going to make my intro short today. Thank you everybody that made it out there and also the online ticket holders were editing all the videos and uh, PowerPoints and other information and those that got the online ticket and as well as attended the conference will be able to access all of those in our private membership site. So stay tuned for that. And now this week's show, we have Fabian, a friend of mine, and he is an expert on company formation in China. And he kind of gives us some insights on where in China. A lot of times you'll ask me, you know, set up a China company, but there's free trade zones. There's, of course, different parts of China you can choose and structuring with Hong Kong and other things. So we're getting deep into some corporate stuff here, uh, which is something we do cover in Global From Asia. So I hope you guys enjoy and uh, let's get into the interview. All right. Thank you, everybody. It's Saturday morning as we make this interview in China and we have an old friend of mine, Fabian Gnoff. Thank you for being here, Fabian. Thanks for having me, Mike. Sure, sure. So, yeah, we we know each other when you were down here in Shenzhen for quite a few years, and you moved up to Beijing. How long ago now? I can't. Re- you know, when was that? It's been yeah, it's been a year and a half now. Yeah, time moves fast. Yeah, we're saying uh, before the recording. Uh, yeah, life is just going really fast. I mean, I I keep seeing my kids getting. I guess it's easier for me because kids' ages keeps getting up and up and up. So. Life moves fast, so listeners should keep keep that in mind. So you've you got a, a wealth of experience and knowledge about China business and, and corporation structures and everything. Maybe maybe before we dive into the into the, all that, what can you can you introduce yourself to our listeners, Fabian? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a German national. I've been in China now for uh, it's been over seven years. Uh, and uh, I uh, spent about three years in Shenzhen, where we met. Uh, before that, I spent some time in Beijing and Shanghai, Suzhou as well. And I'm back in Beijing now. Um, and yeah, my background, as you mentioned, is uh, working with uh, uh, working in legal and tax advisory for for foreign companies, which is uh, what I'm still doing now. That's very very cool. And so yeah, I mean, it's always a popular question. I'm sure you're asked, and we ask a lot of guests what. How did you get over to China at the beginning? Yeah, that's a long one, right? So I guess this, uh, it could be the whole show, right? But uh, <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, <clears throat> I came here during my studies, really. It was an international studies program that I was in in, in Germany. And it was uh, two years of, of courses, basically, in Germany. And then um, really everything else could, have been, could be done um, outside of uh, Germany. And I uh, picked China because I had a few... Uh, Chinese language courses in Germany, and I was—I just wanted to, you know, give uh, give it a try, <laughs> give the language a try, really. And so I, I studied in Xi'an, did an internship then in Beijing, and wrote my thesis while I was uh, working in the in the Shanghai and Suzhou area. And 
yeah, that's that's really how I came to China. It, it just it's just the most interesting place. It was then the most interesting place to me, and at the moment, it, it really still is. Yeah, it's true. I was just talking to a friend this morning in in the U.S. and he's asking me when I'm coming back, and I'm like, dude, you gotta at least check it out over here. I mean, there's so much stuff happening, and uh, it's just really hyper active things going on. And I think if you guys like action, China's worth that. Of course, there's of course some setbacks, but but, uh, you know, it teaches you patience as well. <laughs> right. Uh, and that setback, that setback will probably be there, you know, outside of China as well. Yeah. So, so congratulations. It's about a month now since your new position as a commercial manager at TMF. Uh, how's, how's that going? Uh, it's, it's been really exciting. Um, it's, uh, it's, a really a different uh, uh, working environment that I'm in. It's a much larger company that I'm with now. And, and so I'm just, you know, getting into all of the processes um, and yeah, diving right in. Uh, I, I haven't really <laughs> spent any, any downtime at all. I'm, I'm really diving right in, meeting a lot of people, uh, getting to work on, uh, um, yeah, what, and what the firm does and, and, and working with, uh, um, with that already. Yeah. Okay. Very, very good. Very good. Um, that's, that's great. And so then, you know, well, let's talk about the foreign taxation and compliance. So yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this topic and is there, I, I literally talk to people all the time, like want to make sure they're compliant in China and maybe other, and also in their home country. Is there any, any tips on this really? Or I think it, it it starts with education. Uh, I think you know foreign companies or whoever does business here and and is you know subject to taxation. I think really should should educate themselves uh, about you know how the system works, what taxes are applicable to them, and then and the, the problem there is that there's obviously a lot of different sources, right? You have your local tax officer, you have your local accountant potentially. Uh, you might have you know a friend. Uh, you might have service providers. You might have you know, there's there's you know a plethora of, of sources really, um, and so within that you have to figure out okay, so what are what are even you know what does the law said right? Well, what is what is a written text somewhere? So that that's it's certainly a, a way to start. But then there are local uh, interpretations of those uh, of those laws, and and uh, in in um, um, yeah, in, in those localities where the, where the business is being done. And then, you know, uh, you know, accountants and tax officers, they might, you know, apply that law in certain ways. So I think, you know, again, I think education, I think, is, is really the start. Um, and then working with, with people who, you know, and internal accountants or external service providers who know what they're doing um, uh, consistently. <laughs> uh, I think that's, I, I want to say that's the key, really, uh, to, to figuring things out. Because, you know, things change, right? You can't just, you know, do educate yourself once and and then think that's going to go for the next two or three years. That's just not going to happen. Things move too fast. Mm-hmm. And it's getting actually, I think, even more, I would think you would agree, I think it's getting more complicated nowadays, even in China and internationally. There's just more regulations, if I feel. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, there's, so in, in China, we just, uh, I think it was uh, last year now, uh, we've had the completion essentially of this this transfer from business tax to VAT. <laughs> so um, business taxes is only being applied to a few uh, transactions now, whereas uh, it's been expanded to a lot more transactions, or the VAT has been expanded to a lot more transactions. Um, so um, so that that's just been done. That was a 
um, I'm going to lie here. <laughs> I'm just not going to get that. I'm just not going to get that accurate. But it's been five years easily for that. I, I, I forget exactly what uh, what year it started this this transition. So the, this reform was was very important, uh, and I think we've seen actually a lot of um, um, we've seen that businesses benefit from that because uh, the uh, China the Chinese government has actually received less uh, tax revenue from that. So the savings to businesses. Uh, um, should have gone up, uh, and, and I think they have. There's there's some statistics that say that. Uh, I think that that's that's really significant. But you, you're right. I mean, there is a more um, focus on cross-border taxation as well. We have you know a larger focus on transfer pricing. Um, so this base erosion and profit shifting is something that uh, China is uh, globally really a very aggressive actor in. Uh, so really on par with uh, jurisdictions like like uh, like Germany and and Singapore, um, so that that's very that's very impressive. So the goal the the, the yeah the goal for China is is very very high and very um, yeah very aggressive in in, in not in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in each part of China is different tax right like by province or city or there's also these free trade zones popping up everywhere. Um, yeah. So it's different everywhere, right? You can't really say it's a f- like depends on what all kinds of different factors for China, right? Yeah, you raise an interesting point. I mean, what I mentioned with the with the business tax, the the VAT. So business tax is actually a tax that um, that benefited uh, the 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 provinces and the, the the localities, whereas the VAT is a national tax. Uh, so that that goes straight to the national government, and then they. You know, uh, deem uh, to uh, uh, what what each province may deserve in in, in funding. Uh, so so this 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 tax reform has also taken away an incredible amount of funding from uh, the provinces. Uh, and so you know we can talk about that in in a different segment because you know that that's a bit of an interesting political. Uh, situation and effect of of that tax reform, mm. uh, but you have so 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 that's one part of that. And then you're absolutely right. I mean, so there are you know there, there's at least the, the perception that um, different localities have different taxation. I want to say uh, that is going away as well. Um, again, we have the the VAT, which is a national tax that's applied, I think, pretty much you know across the country, across industries now. Uh, with the and I'm sure there are still exceptions, but uh, in broad strokes, this should still be the case. Uh, this should already be the case. We have corporate income tax of 25% that that applies across industries, and there are differences here. You're right. I mean, there's a high tech uh, technology status, for example, where uh, the corporate income tax of 15% applies, and then so that's specific industries. Um, and you know, companies that qualify for that, they have to meet certain requirements in, in R and D spending, in education of their staff, and things like that. Another thing is you mentioned the the free trade zones. Yeah, although it, it's it's really funny. A lot of people think that this, those free trade zones offer tax benefits. A lot of them don't. In in you're lucky in in Shenzhen that uh, Tianhai and um, uh, so which is part of the the Guangdong free trade zone, um, Tianhai does provide uh, tax benefits on a corporate level and and on the individual level I, I believe. But within that, it's you know within free trade zones, for example, the one in Shanghai, uh, the one in Fujian, the one in Tianjin, uh, those are not. Uh, they don't. Uh, um, they, they don't. A lot of them don't actually have any tax benefits. Uh, their benefit to free trade is uh, is really more in lowering administrative burdens uh, and and trying new approaches with market access for 
Chinese and, and foreign companies. Okay. So so tax um, reduction is not the, the Chinese government has become a lot more selective in in um, uh, in a, yeah in, in giving those away. Um, there's still, for example, um, if you want to go into the Western regions, uh, I think then there's also only a 15% uh, corporate income tax. Um, so that's a significant reduction. Um, so, so there are definitely still um, some some um, exceptions, but I would say you know, uh, you know across the board, I think we've we've become a little bit more yeah same system. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Just the difference; these free trade zones are all different. And I, I get people saying, "Oh, I want to." A lot of people, especially foreigners, like Shanghai for their their business center. For you know, it's a popular place, but the free trade zones there is, from what I've understood, there's not very. Yeah, there's no tax benefit, but yeah, down here in Shenzhen and Shanghai, there there's a a decent uh, percentage. Uh, yeah, I've reduced tax, so it's uh, it's always complicated, it seems. But yes, it is. Yes, it is. Great. Um, so moving on to like staffing and dealing with, I think that's one. Of course, I think the main reasons to open a company in China, right, is for, of course, legally selling and hiring were most likely the the top reasons. So, you know, what what are some some difficulties with with hiring in China? You think for a Western company? Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's it's you know sometimes, and especially in, in Shenzhen, the question is you know, uh, so why would I set up a, a company <laughs> in Shen, you know in Shenzhen? Why you know I, I already have a company in Hong Kong, yeah, right? Yeah. And so this, well, okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's always very very important uh, from a taxation and from a staffing uh, perspective to understand that they are separate legal jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. uh, they The taxation is different. The labor laws are different. So having a company in Hong Kong for staffing in Shenzhen is about as good as having a company in Delaware. Yep. So, you know, le from the legal perspective, obviously proximity is a, is a huge benefit to, to Hong Kong and Shenzhen there. Uh, but it doesn't make any more legal having staff in Hong Kong and, you know, sending them uh, over to Shenzhen. Um, the other part is then... Uh, or just you know more more broadly, uh, I'll go back to what I said about taxation. Understand what the local laws are and how they're implemented locally, um, and how you know maybe with a with a smaller company there's no HR person, uh, but you know have sources that know how the system works, you know how employment relationships are developed and and how they are executed, how you know staff rules uh, apply. Right. What's what's uh, uh, what a company can can um, can order a staff to do, for example, what kind of rules they can set up in order to guide their employment relationship <clears throat> and what 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 can be what what can be done, for example, what are um, mandatory social insurance benefits, for example, as well. Things. And, and so how are they calculated? You know, what what cost does, does that add to the payroll uh, that's not insignificant although again Shenzhen is a very uh, is a very good place for that um, because I think it has one of the lowest social insurance uh, rates in in, in, in all of China um, and then as a developed and and fairly yeah so it's a very developed city in, within China it's that that's a that's a great benefactor to um, to, to to companies in, in China, obviously, yeah. um, and then yeah, it's um, you know <laughs> I think the <clears throat> the main you know the, the the main issue with with HR in China is is a lot when there's an employee or a, a, a dispute, right? And then so you have you know these 
uh, ubiquitous compensation uh, severance payments that that need to be paid uh, by by companies and and you know really understanding for a company you know what they legally have to pay uh, then there are there's also you know the the threat of uh, arbitration labor arbitration is mm. very is made is, is made very easy for yeah. for employees in China uh, which again you could you know talk about the political impact mm. of that. but but uh, um, it's it's uh, yeah it, it's something that I think doesn't doesn't it, it, it's it's a, it's a it's a pretty big and complex uh, situation and uh, and again uh, it's very important I think for for companies to to just go out and you know continually educate them about what's going on um, the situation. Yeah, I think it's. I've had a, I don't know about you, but I've I've definitely had labor disputes in my own business over the years. Um, where, yeah, like you said, it's definitely made easy sometimes for labor disputes. And, and, uh, I think it's just probably the best way to prevent that is to make sure you're, you're following the, the rules of payments and taxes and insurance benefits and also documenting the process. I would say, right? Like marking down oh, if yeah. they're, if they're, you know, cause if you just fire somebody, but you don't have written documentation of the reasons why. I, I know that's a good tip, right? Or, or is that something? Or what are absolutely. some? Oh yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So documentation is very, very important. Not even at the point of where you, you know, fire that person, but you know, going, you know, having. And this is really this this employee or the staff handbook that you, uh, I'm sure you're aware of, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that is that is that is, uh, yeah, highly recommended. Where essentially you can lay down rules for the employment relationship, right? So you can say, you know, coming late 30 minutes or whatever it is that you deem essentially uh, within the legal framework, of course, you can't, you know, uh, can't say anything that is that is wrong and, mm-hmm. and punished for it. But uh, um, that, you know, you, you, you set rules and then you, there's a consequence if the rule is broken and then, you know, there's a, there's escalation right so what happens then there's a warning letter right if there are three warning letters then that can be ground for uh, termination for example right so there's a clear path to you know to punishment in a way which is you know which is not exactly something that you want to focus on uh, necessarily and it's, it's really not what the the staff handbook is focused on but it's certainly a part of or it can certainly be a part of that that uh, the, those rules and and um yeah and, and then, you know, really, you know, documenting everything. Um, the labor arbitration is an, an incredibly effective and in a way very productive uh, institution because it, it, you know, barriers to entry are very low, right? So employees, they, there's no additional fees that employees uh, have to um, to pay to the arbitration committee in order to lodge a case, right? I mean, they, if they choose to, uh, be represented by by a lawyer. Obviously, they have to pay those the the, the lawyers, but the 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 institution itself doesn't demand any fees from the employee, and I don't think they they do for the employer either. I'm not 100 percent sure about that at the moment, but uh, it's it's a very cost or it's it's a very easy way to to engage. And then they, there's a timeline, and I, uh, don't quote me on the the numbers here, but I think it's 45 days on and at uh, the maximum 60 days within which the arbitration committee then has to make a judgment. And so, you know, it, it's, they, they, they crank it out and they're very effective and very efficient in that. And there was a, a German law firm here in Chaoyang in Beijing. And Chaoyang is really the district where, uh, where most of the foreign companies are, are registered. 
And they found, you know, they, they uh, since 2000, I'm lying here again, 2014, I think it was, since okay. uh, when judges or at least the, the judges at the labor arbitration had to publicize their judgments. Um, I'm not sure about whether they had to publicize also their explanations mm. uh, for for their judgments, but their judgment, but the judgments were were, were public. Okay. Or at least there was legislation that, yeah, that that required them to make them public, and so they they had a database uh, and, and looked at that, and they found no discrimination uh, against foreign companies in in those judgments. Right. So we were talking about one district here, a significant district in in China, uh, that 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 were that you know where foreign companies are registered, but you know there there's so the, the perception that this is something that uh, that that uh, discriminates against foreign companies as well. That that was not found in that uh, example, and and so what study also went into was um, the incredible uh, burden of um, or the detail that evidence would have to, yeah, would have to be presented in. So you, you know, so and for that reason by itself, I think you really need a, a lawyer that that is familiar with such uh, arbitration cases or somebody maybe not a lawyer but somebody who definitely understands these uh, th these these proceedings and and uh, how judges you know what they look at what they don't look at what's important to them and so you know just one example right if you say oh i have evidence in this email that this and this happened right so i i, I think this is evidence so you can't just you know print out the email and put it in front of a judge and say look this is the evidence mm. that does, that doesn't work so you would have you have to go to a notary republic um, uh, like yeah, public notary, and uh, and and basically in front of them, you know, print out the email and then they uh, notarize it and say yes, this is this email came from that you know email account that uh, that that program that I saw and this is now evidence. Got it. Right, and so the, so the, or the, this is at least the, there's a there's a there's a public figure as a public official who who regarded that as 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 real. Right, this piece, and then that can be admitted into into, into evidence here. So, mm. so, so that's the level of you know, um, and so the same thing goes, for example, for you know, videos, pictures, you know, w w whatever it is. So, so in in when you do documentation, what you what you mentioned, which I think absolutely you're right, is very important. Um, you still have to consider, okay, so is that even is that going to be regarded as as, as evidence by you know, a, a court of law or uh, a judge on an arbitration panel. Mm, this is really amazing. Thank you for sharing so much insights here. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think mostly the, the, the conclusion here is documenting, even though you might not get it notarized right away, but I think that it comes from the culture, right? Fabian, I think that the trusting of the, you know, I think in a, in a, in a West, a lot of times you can just have a paper receipt instead of, but here you need an official Fapiao that's like got the stamp and chopped. And so you really got to make sure that what you, your evidence is, is, is able to be used as evidence. But I guess it's true in the court in America or anywhere else. You have to have, make sure it's not forged or make sure it's not, you know, uh, falsified or something like that. So, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, some of my own things that saved my butt a couple of times was uh, I've had staff sign a, uh, a paper when they quit to say that they quit and have the date. And then I sign it and chop it too. It's Cause then later they'll sometimes try to get an extra month of salary out of me or, or something. And then I've had the labor department call my office and ask about it. And 
they were because they were complaining about getting another month's salary. There was, of course, some compensation, but there was some discrepancy about how many months. So I had that document with the stamp and his signature or my signature stating the date he left and, and all the different terms. So it was very easy. But I know other business owners, maybe foreigners, but I think also Chinese. I think it's, I mean, do we say this is a more difficult? I think it's difficult for any employer, right? Whether they're a Chinese or a foreigner with, with labor. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. You know, I always focus on, on foreign companies, but, uh, you know, Chinese companies face similar, especially small business owners face uh, similar, um, yeah, uh, challenges here. I think it's, it, it might be, you know, I think um, the employee might decide. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into conjecture here. Um, no, you're absolutely right. This is something that that affects uh, both uh, Chinese and, and foreign companies, and and um, you know, I'm I'm just more, you know, I, I see obviously sure, the, sure. the problems of, of foreign companies more than than of, I do. And 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 also, this is a great strategy. That, I mean, did you have, you know, getting getting something like that signed? You know, that that will not prevent the employee of lodging a case uh, with the arbitration committee, but. Your, you basically did everything you possibly could to, or you know, you went a great, uh, very, very far in, in in securing, you know, your right. Basically, that this is this, and this is perfectly perfectly legal in, in, in my, um, uh, from, from, in my opinion, um, to to basically look. This is a signed document right here. We've come to an agreement, uh, and this is the signature of of my employee. Um, so what is, you know, does he change his mind now? So this is a, it's a, it's a great, it's a good, it's a good argument. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's in, in that case, I think, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the leaning is in, 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 in the, in your favor or in the employer's favor. Okay. Very cool. So really appreciate your time on a Saturday. We're getting close to the time. Uh, but I do want to kind of get to a question where, how do you advise a client which city or district or structure to 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 form? I guess it's based on where they want to be for their business, or should they consider? I know we talked a little bit earlier, kind of mentioning free trade zones, and we mentioned uh, basically they're trying to s- standardize it. But is there is there some kind of formula or or insights that you could share with maybe how they should find out what's the best place in China for them? Um, I always go by. You know, this should all be internally driven. This should all be so not by external factors like like incentives or anything like that. It should be first and foremost is you know what you know what what does your business need? What do you want to do in China? Right? Is this going to be? Do you want to do production? Do you want to do services? Do you want to do trade? Do you need to do R and D? So 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 that that's that's the very very first thing. And then you need to think about okay, so if I need production workers, you know, I'm not going to be in Shanghai. I might be, you know, is it is going to be high level manufacturing work, right? This is uh, <clears throat> engineering, precision engineering, something that is that is fairly high up the value chain. Then you probably want to be somewhere, you know, somewhere around Beijing, the Tianjin, uh, you know, like Beijing, Tianjin, that airport, Langfang, just the suburbs of, of Beijing. You might want to be somewhere between Nanjing and Shanghai. Um, you, you know, I, I think... Dongguan is, is 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 moving up the value chain there as wow. well. There's a lot of um, automotive manufacturers moving down there, and the suppliers moving down there now. Um, so you know, I'm not saying that they're quite there yet, but I think they're developing. Um, so so that's probably where you want to be, right? Um, or you, know, you need to look at clusters of where you know your industry is and where you have access to labor, right? You need 
you need the right kind of labor uh, for your uh, for whatever you want to do. And that that's, you know, for services, um, you know, if you're in financial services, then maybe, you know, Shanghai, Beijing, um, um, Shenzhen as well, you know, those are those could be good, good areas. So you really need to understand where the market is, where where does your staff come from? Um, or where, where is it? Right? Where do you have access to staff? What about your customers? You know, you, you do you is it important for you to be close to your customers? Um, what about suppliers? What do you what do you need other than labor? Do you need raw materials? Do you need you know, do you need to be in a cluster? And again, South China is a great area for that. Right. Do you need to have, you know, a great ecosystem around you that can support you with, you know, is it, you know, a fast uh, um, industry that you're in, right? I mean, electronics, like you can't be, you can't be in Anhui to do electronics. You've got to be in Dongguan, right? Mm-hmm. Or in Shenzhen, or Guangzhou. It's it just, you know, you've got to be close to, to know what's going on in battery technology and in, in screens in, you know, and this is where, where, uh, I, you know, this is, where, this is all I know. <laughs> oh, this is great, man. This is really uh, so, helpful. So, so this is, this, this is, this is what you need. So th- th- that's what I'm saying, internal factors, right? And, th- and then you can look at, right? So you might have, you know, have shortlisted, you know, three, four or five locations. Then you can look at, you know, are you a big, you know, multinational companies go to the investment bureaus and say, you know, you you're looking at, you know, investment value of I don't know how much. Right. And is that something that they are interested in? You know, could they help you with, you know, staffing with, uh, I don't know, finding suppliers in the region and, and introducing you and things like that? So leveraging maybe something that you have in terms of brand name, in terms of investment uh, invested capital uh, that you're planning, and and so then maybe you're also able to to get tax benefits um, that you know that so so then I think so it, it should be internal factors first, and then you can look at external factors that you know make make that good. But you know don't go to an area where you know I'm sure you know there's plenty of places in Anhui or you know anywhere that you know they they want any kind of foreign investment yeah, for example yeah. but uh, you know what are you going to do out there right i mean there's you're limited in whatever the region gives you and if that doesn't match your internal factors then you know there's a <laughs> right i mean that yeah. doesn't make any sense it's true. so i think that that's that's really important so tax benefits is a is a really shiny object but um i i think it, it's something that um yeah hold off on it Look at it when, when appropriate, when your in, internal factors are aligned and satisfied, uh, not earlier than that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Fabian. This has been really, really valuable uh, insights. So how can people reach out to you and, and get more information or maybe give you some business or... Yeah, always. Yeah, definitely. Let's um, get you get you hooked uh, up here. Sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me there just under my my name, and I'm sure that you put into the the, the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put on the show notes. That that's probably the best way to find them. I'm 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 uh, yeah. I can I can. Okay. People can find me there and uh, talk to me. Very good. All right, Fabian. Thanks again, and enjoy your the rest of your Saturday. Thanks, Mike. You too. Thank you, Fabian, and. We'll have to get you back down to Shenzhen and we, we, for the next year's summit, if possible. I'll talk to you about that later. And uh, just still recovering here. <laughs> and uh, thank you again, everybody. And I just love what I do. And I hope you guys enjoy what you do. And we are planning already crossbordersummit.com slash 2018. It will be our third annual. And I still want to do it down here in Shenzhen. You know, I still get this feedback. Oh, do it in Guangzhou. Oh, do it in Hong Kong, do it in Thailand. I, I don't know. I'm still excited about Shenzhen. So 
Yeah, I know you got to get a China visa. Let's prepare. You got a whole year to prepare. So I hope to see you guys there, April 2018. And we have tons and tons of interviews. I mean, I, I got so many interviews here. I don't even know which, they're so amazing. I don't even know which one to put next. There's like 10 or 12 interviews I got with such amazing people and so many more people want to come on the show. And that's what we're trying to do here, trying to get the access to information and the network here in Asia to do business here globally. You know, a lot of crazy stuff happening around the world in different countries. And, you know, I, I'm on the side of you, the business owner, and that's, that's what we are out for taking care of ourselves and doing what's right for ourselves and, and our families. So everybody have a great day and see you next week. Bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.